this morning. If you are joining us today, uh, glad to have you. If you're just jumping on, uh, there was a few announcements we did this morning. And if you missed those, we'll be sending those out this week to remind you of what's going on. But we're going to jump right into it. And I'm going to start this morning if you would join with me. And I want to encourage you if you're able to. Um, I know sometimes it might be difficult depending on what device you might be watching me on. You could be watching me on your phone or maybe you're watching me on your computer or your television. And so maybe you're able to do this. But uh, if you're able to somehow, some way have access to a Bible, I want you to read this with me. Um, and we're going to read the entire. Now, before you panic, it's not actually that long. It's only uh, 40 verses. Um, but we're going to read the entirety of uh, the, the uh, ninth book of John, John chapter 9. Um, we're going to read John chapter 9 together, if you would join with me. Now, in case you're wondering, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. So uh, um, if you have access on a device to multiple versions, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're just going to go old school today. I have one right here. Maybe you're going old school and you have one of these things. In case you don't know what this is, this is kids, this is what we call a Bible. Um, this is not a Bible, even though we use this more often, uh, but this is what we call a Bible. So uh, lesson for today, kids, this is a Bible. But maybe you have one of these. You might have it in King James. Uh, I'm reading out in the New King James, but you'll get the gist of it. But I want to read to you. I, I tried to find kind of a, a starting point and an ending point, um, but I couldn't find one. So I just felt led of the Lord to read the entirety because the entire chapter of John chapter 9 the entire chapter is is one complete story. Um, and you don't really get the fullness of the story if you just take portions of it. And usually when we read John 9, we focus on just a couple aspects of it. But but to where we're going today, I want to I want to show you the whole the whole story. So join with me. And in case you haven't read the Bible today, we'll get you caught up to say on your Bible reading. Um, and so for those of you that haven't spent time with the Word this week, we're going to get you caught up. We got a lot of scripture to cover today. So let's get into it. John chapter 9, verse number 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this gives us a complete, and I'm not going here today, but this gives us an insight into the, the, the psyche of, of, of that day, that they believed that negative things that happened to you were a direct correlation to sin in your life. This is part of the sort of this framework that if I do good things, good things are going to happen to me. If I obey and do all these things, then nothing should befall me. And so the disciples' reaction wasn't necessarily something we should scoff at, but it was actually something that was ingrained into their culture. It was something that was ingrained into their thinking. This wasn't an unusual question. I mean, I mean, uh, the hospital ward, uh, uh, and you just start pointing out, what was their sin or what was their sin or what was their sin or what was their sin? It wouldn't take long for someone's like, man, you're being really harsh here. I mean, you know, they're in a hospital. I've been in a hospital. Maybe you've been in a hospital uh, last time I checked, I was in the hospital. I didn't know I was in the hospital for sin. I thought I was in a hospital for a kidney stone or something else that was going on in my life. Um, but this was not an unusual question. And we kind of we kind of are taken back uh, by it a little bit because it seems such a such a, a different question. But this was sort of something that was sort of automatically baked into their 
their their uh, their psyche. And notice that Jesus didn't rebuke them for the question. He actually answered the question. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Must work the works of him. I must work must work the works of him who sent me while it is while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with his saliva, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated sent. So he, he went and washed and came back, seeing therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, It is not this who is not, I'll get it out here in a minute, is not this he who has set and begged. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. They didn't. They couldn't figure this whole situation out. And then he said, it's me. That, that, the guys, it's me. I'm the one. And therefore they said unto him, how were your eyes open? And he answered, said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Now, this is a good break in the story, and usually we stop here, but the story continues to unfold. So they brought him formerly, who was the who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now, it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. It was pretty easy for him. They was like, this is not that hard, guys. I was blind, clay, see, I don't know what the big deal is. And therefore, some of this Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. My God, it's amazing, man, when you get caught up in religious ideology and religious ways of thinking, God is working and you can't see it because God often works outside of our parameters. We think God's working, going to work this way. He's over here and we miss it because religion keeps us thinking that God only works in these veins. And so this was quite interesting here because he said, uh, you know, this can't be from God. This can't happen. The man's, the man was blind and now he, he, he can see. They're not even give, they're not even rejoicing the fact that this guy has had something amazing, life changing happen to him. All they care about is can't be from God. This is so messed up. Because, uh, by the way, uh, it's the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind him again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. And they think this is all a scam. Think about this. I mean, we get, we get caught up today in thinking, you know, like certain things aren't true, certain things are not true. And, and we've got so much manipulation with technology and Photoshop and all that deep fake stuff that's happening. But they, they were just as skeptical. This can't be true. Something, this is off. There's a, this was a big setup. And but the Jews did not believe him concerning him had been received his sight, and they called the parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked him, saying, Is he is this your son, who you say was born blind, and how then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. So meaning he wasn't a kid. This guy was had to have been 18 or older based off 
of Jewish culture. 18 years old was a was a significant line of 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 growth in in a Jewish man. And so I'm I based off what I've read and studied now it might be a little different uh depending on what you read but he had to been older. He had to be probably somewhere in his 20s. And he had been born blind. So this guy had been blind for a significant period of time. And so when his parents were asked, they said, why are you asking us? He's of age. Ask him. His parents said that these, uh, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Meaning, we don't want to be kicked out of church. Hey, listen. They weren't even like, I mean, this is just baffling to me for a moment. I, I, I'm not going here today, but just, it's hard to read this without just the, just, just looking at the, just the whole situation here. And just, it's just like, you want to just yell into the, you never watched a movie and something's going on. Like, you know, someone's going down the hallway and the bad guy's there and you know, the bad guy's there and you want to yell into the movie. Hey, don't go down there. There's a, you know, there's somebody down there or something dumb is about to happen in the movie and you know it. And you're, you just, you know, you, you know, it's a movie, right? You know, it's a movie, you know, the director is about to say cut and everything's going to stop, but you just can't help yourself. And you start yelling or talking into the movie. Ever, I mean, I don't know how you are, but I, I don't, they'll be nameless. I won't name who they are, but some people I watch movies with, they can't stop talking. Like, I want to watch the movie. I don't need a running dialogue. Maybe you have a, a, a person when you watch movies with, they're a talker. I have a couple people that I, I know that when we watch movies, they, they want to just, it's a constant dialogue. Why is that there? What was that? What did he do that for? Why she go there? I don't know. I'm watching the movie with you. But you ever just want to like kind of yell in them? I, I feel like when I'm reading this, that's what I want to do. I, I want to just like, I just want to yell. Like, I just want to like say, come on, somebody just acknowledge the moment here. This boy had been blind his entire life. Now he sees, but the Jews are so flipping worried about the Sabbath and they can't, they can't get over the fact that, 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 that this is the Sabbath. My God, we can't have anything good happen. This is, this is not good. And then the parents are so worried about getting kicked out of church. They can't even acknowledge the fact that their son can now see. Think about that. Just, it's just staggering to me. Let's keep reading now. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that it was blind, now I see. And he said to him, what did he say? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered him, I told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered, said to him, why, why this is a marvelous thing. He's saying like, this is a marvelous thing. Come on, let's, I, I was blind. Now I can see. Can we just leave it at that? That you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard 
uh, that anyone opened the eyes of one who was blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said, you are completely born in sin and you're teaching us. They got mad. They were like, you know what? Who are you to say anything to us? Get out. That was the whole, whole point. Get out. But the story continues. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I've come to this world that those who do not see may see, that those who see may be blind and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard with some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Now, there's so much in there and where you probably think I'm going, I'm not going to go today because I find this quite interesting. We have this amazing story that unfolds before our eyes. And at the core of this story is this young man. Uh, we have this, 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 in, uh, another just baffling encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees and sort of this back and forth that takes place with just, just the, the blindness and the, the absolute brainwashing of religion, of how religion can get us to think. And you not only see it with the Pharisees, you see it even in his parents. And that would, that'd be a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. But I find this to be interesting. This portion of scripture, John chapter 9, seems to take place within the same day. Um, there's no indication of a period of time um, of separation between these events. It appears that he was born, that, that, that he was, uh, was healed, and then the aftermath of his healing, he was brought before the Pharisees. He has this conversation. He's kicked out, and when he's kicked out, Jesus is still hanging around and has this conversation with him. So, so when we look at this story, we look at this one day in the life of this young man who was blind. And while it is quite a fascinating story and it's mixed in with so much going on, I mean, he sort of becomes another pawn in this game, in this ultimate chess match between Jesus and the Pharisees. And here's another piece uh, being played. But what's really fascinating about this, and, and this is where I want to go today, because we have a tendency when we read the scriptures at least I do. I can't say for you. Let me back up and say I can't speak for you today. I have a tendency when I read the scriptures to do sort of, I feel like it's a natural thing. I compare my life to the people that I read in scripture, right? And I look at my life and I look at their life. And man, sometimes I look at the stuff going on there and I go, That's, this is absolutely amazing, man. This is crazy. This is awesome. I want to be a part of that. Because when I look at their life and I look at my life, I have to be honest with you. My life feels most of the time mind-numbingly ordinary. Forgive me for being so blunt today, but my life, when I look at it sometimes, it's just mind-numbingly ordinary. I don't wake up every day seeing angels coming up and back from heaven. I don't wake up every day greeted by a course of angelic praise. I don't wake up every day 
with 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 words from God falling out of the sky. I don't wake up every day with revelation hitting me. Maybe you do, and if that's the case, God bless you that you have ascended to that height. But a lot of days it just feels ordinary. And then you add that into the ordinary and then we deal with problems and situations and difficulties. And then I take all that and I go to the word of God and I read this story about this guy that's blind and he has this great miracle happen in his life. And I look at that and go, man, wow. Why, I mean, why, why, why can't that happen to me? I mean, like, what would it be an amazing, that would be awesome if I could have that kind of experience. I mean, like, I was blind and now I can see. And then I'm like, I'm now the, like, kind of like the spokesperson for the, for the, for the, for, for, for who Jesus is. I mean, like, this is cool, man. But in the reality of this, and this is sort of hit me the other day, I'm reading through this and I'm kind of bummed a little bit, to be honest with you. And I mean, the last couple of years I've said this said this now many times the last couple of years I've spent I've spent probably 90% if not more uh, of my study time personal study time in the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John um, just pouring through the gospels and the the part that's hard about the gospels for me at least is and if you don't know my history a little bit just a brief I was born in church meaning my parents were pastors and so when I was I started attending church before I could even my before my memories even began to be formed. I was in church a week after I was born, and so um, growing up, I heard all of these stories. And so the challenge for me in the last couple of years of kind of looking back through the gospel is is to kind of separate out the familiar familiar aspects. And what I mean by that is when we read the Bible, if especially for those maybe you've been around and maybe you've been around for enough that you've heard so much, you know, we kind of tend to stick to the same stories. I mean, we're not really going to go deep into the book of Habakkuk. Um, you know, that's not Zephaniah is probably not a book we're going to really go deep into, but we stick with some of the main, you know, the meteor books. We, we like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, the Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And we have all these other books we sprinkle in, but, but we, after a while, you know, you hear me speak, others may speak, and then you and your personal devotion, the, the danger comes down to sometimes when you read something, or you hear something so often that it becomes familiar that when you're reading it again, you you just kind of read it on autopilot, if I could call it that. So the challenge for me in the last couple of years has been the idea of going to the Bible with, for lack of a better term, with fresh eyes. If I could use that term. Meaning like going into the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reading it like I'm reading it for the very first time. And when I get to a passage that feels familiar or sounds familiar or I know in some scriptures, I can even quote it that's that familiar, but to approach it with a brand new perspective of maybe I don't even like, what if I never read this before? How would I read it? And it's been a challenge. I can't say that I've done that perfectly. And I can't say that I don't, you know, somehow that is, that it's been done to the level it should, but that's my, been my desire. Lord, I want to see this with fresh eyes. I don't want to see it like I've seen it before. Show me, show this to me, how you want to, want me to see it. That's kind of been my prayer. So in that, to be honest with you, I've seen things in the gospel I've never seen before. I've had different perspectives of the gospel 
that I haven't had before. And so I realized over the last couple of weeks, looking back on some of the things I looked at in the gospel, that in my comparison to the gospel in my own life, right? Because I don't know how you are, but one of the ways for me when I study scripture is I kind of like to put myself into the text. Meaning, if I was there, how would I would have reacted? Or if I was there, now we can't totally know because you can't, you know, you can put yourself into the situation, but, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's a very limited field of view, right? You don't have any past experiences that lead up to that that moment so it's very hard but it, in an attempt to try to to say if I was in that situation would I have done the same thing or would I have reacted the same way sort of my way to kind of just interpret the Bible for myself I'm not saying that that's the way you should do it but for me so the problem I have with that is sometimes when I do that I feel like I come up short if I to be honest with you is that when I look at people in the scripture and I look at my own life I feel sort of like like I said earlier, my life feels extremely normal, ordinary, compared to the story here. But then I I, I believe it was the Lord. Maybe you can call, maybe you call it an epiphany, but I, I believe it was the Lord helping me, my own personal quest to know him and understand his word. I began to look at some of the stories in the scripture that are familiar to me. But we'll go through a couple of them here today. And what I find remarkable is, is that this story, now I've read this story, I've preached from this story, I've now been preaching for over 20 years, and I have preached from this story, and I preach from it from many different aspects. And one of the ways, you know, you, that I preach from this story is the beginning of the story where they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, nobody sinned, this was for my glory. And I've preached from the aspect of sometimes we can't explain what we're going through because it has no reason, but it's just simply for the glory of God. It's simply for God's glory that he's taking us through things, not because of what we've done or what we're going to get out of it, simply for the fact that we can testify of his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And that's part of it. But when you read that scripture, like I said, there's a couple of exit points along the way. And usually we end with just the story of the healing. Or maybe you take it further and you get into the aspects of, in the middle section there where it's this man sort of testifying before the Pharisees in this conflict that takes place. And he's sort of the, the pawn in the game that's being, uh, that's being uh, played out between Jesus and the Pharisees. Or the last section of chapter 9, which deal with Jesus' interaction with him. But in reality, I said it earlier, this is crazy because this is a, this is a one-day one day. This is one day in his life. And while it was an absolutely spectacular day because he was blind and now he can see, the reality of it is, is that this is only one day. But the story ends in chapter 9, if you remember, let's go back to it again. The story ends with him simply saying in verse 38, his last response, his last recorded words of the entire story is the last verse 38. And then he said, Lord, I believe. That's it. And he worshiped him. That's the last we see because the last uh, three verses, Jesus speaks. The Pharisees respond. Jesus speaks again. So the last words we have recorded of this young man 
who's probably somewhere in his 20s by now, is the worst Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's it. That's the end of the story. So we see this one moment in his life. We don't know how long he lived. We don't know if he lived another 20, 30, 40 years, 10 years, 5 years. He might have left there and gotten hit by a bus. I don't know. Don't know. Bible doesn't say that, right? We don't know how long he lived. Did he live a long life? Did he get married? Did he have kids? Don't know that. What was his life like after that? And really this come, came down to something happened yesterday to me. And I'm getting to some context here. Is that my daughter, actually both my daughters, uh, they wanted to print out some pictures. And so they wanted them done sort of that yesterday. And um, um, I hadn't been, I haven't been feeling good this week. And so yesterday I had enough, I felt decent enough to try to take them and get this done. And so um, we went up to CVS uh, to print out the pictures off their phone. By the way, let me just stop for a moment and say this. This is not spiritual. It's not Jesus. I just got to let you know. CVS, if you're listening this morning, please, please, you got to update your computer systems. This is the year 2022. Okay, let's just get this straight. Your photocopy printers and your computers, they're like 10 years behind. Please, your Wi-Fi is terrible. Your computers don't work. I mean, come on, I get it. Look, but CVS, please, please help us out. You got to update your computers. So if you're watching and you're the CEO of CVS, just call me. I'll help you out here because it's, it's just a terrible system. We could not get that thing to work very well. But anyways, and so I'm sitting there and, and um, they're going through their, um, their pictures they want printed out. And, and, and I'm just sitting there taking a moment because my son had sent me some pictures he wanted to me to print out and and I'm trying to help them and we're trying to go back and forth and I just it just kind of hit me I'm looking through my pictures and and I got my phone uh, I got my first iPhone and I'm not goofing off here I'm going to show you something here so in case you're wondering has he disconnected no I have it I got my first uh, iPhone um, in uh, 2010 in fact if I go back here um, in my my first recorded picture um of my phone with my phone is in 2010. And if you have an Apple device, you'll understand this. If you, maybe you do it if you have an Android device. Um, but I don't know how those work. I don't know how it happens. But if you have Apple because of iCloud and everything else that it happens, you just accumulate pictures over the years, right? I don't know where you are and, and don't judge me if, if you think, but like right now on my phone, I've got 13,859 pictures. Now, some of you might panic and go, wow, that's a lot. And some of you go, you have no idea. I have, I know some people that are in their 20,000s. They're up in the 20,000s. But that's over a 12-year period. I got 13,859 pictures over a 12-year um, period. Now, to be honest with you, just an example, um, there are also a lot of pictures on here, like this one right here is a picture of a post-it note. 
um, it's a reminder that I had because there was something written on that post-it note and I was afraid I was going to lose it. So I took a picture of the post-it note. So not every one of those 13,000 pictures, to be honest with you, has great significance. There's a lot of screenshots in there. There's a lot of goofy, silly stuff in there. I mean, I'm just looking through. I mean, right now, my kids got a hold of my phone the other day because there was a deer outside. I've got six pictures of a deer uh, eating grass. So there's a lot of pictures in here that probably if I had time and energy, I probably could go on here and probably delete, um, you know, just as the kind of thing when you're a parent, this is what you end up dealing with. My son wanted something from the store. And so he went on and took a screenshot. So he knew I would remember what it was. He wanted a new controller. So 13,859 pictures. I, I, I mean, probably my guess, four or 5,000 of those should be deleted uh, pray for me. The Lord will give me strength to go through and delete all those. There's a lot of pictures, but 12 years, right? I've got all of these moments. And and when I go back, and I'm using this as an example here, and I'll just go back through, at least if I can find a good example of what I'm saying, is here's a, here's a good one. This is my daughter. Um, she would have been like two at the time. I don't know if you can see this picture. I'll try to get it. It's my daughter and she is on my shoulders. This picture was taken September 29th, 2010 at 2.40 p.m. in the afternoon. This picture represents one one hundredth of a second of this entire day. To be honest with you, I remember where this picture was taken, but I don't remember any other part of that day. This picture is representing that day. It's a captured moment. It's a snapshot of a very brief period of time. And I can look back at that and it may spark a memory of something that happened that day. But in reality, I'm only seeing one single picture. I'll try to find another one here as an example Um of of what I'm let me go here to a different year, something a little more recent, if I can. Um here's a good one. This was September 14th, 2016 at 829 PM. Um it looks like I was in Target. Because my son, who at the time would have been four years old, four and a half years old, he grabbed a toy off the shelf of the store and wanted to buy it and so I took a picture of it for him so he know which 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 one it was that was a one moment I don't even remember that trip to Target honestly don't remember the only reason I know it was Target is because I can see in the corner of the picture there the red Target um if you can see I don't know if you can see I know it's but you can see that's Target's um carts I don't remember. I don't I don't I couldn't tell you right now if you put a gun to my head what I bought there that day. The only reason that day still exists in my memory bank is the fact that that picture was taken. I see that day and I can remember, man, I was at Target that day, but I don't know I don't know what and I look at some of these times and I look back and 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 some pictures that I have, I see that and I don't remember that day, but I remember, man, was some, there were some difficult times going on during that period of time. There was some stuff happening in my life. And 
And if you saw that picture, for example, there's a picture. I won't, I won't keep boring you with my photo uh, albums. But if I took some pictures of some stuff and you looked at it, you'd go, wow, that looks like you, you know, your life is amazing. And in reality, that was one one hundredth of a second of a day in the midst of some junk, some chaos, some difficulty. In fact, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Let's go back to, uh, I'll give you something a little more tangible here. One more example of this, and I'll go here. How about this one? This is more, this will hit home. This is a good example. Here's a picture of us on June 24th, 2020 at 1030 a.m. This is my family and I riding around in our neighborhood. You look at that and you go, wow, what a great family. This is what must have been a great time. But in reality, it was June 2020. That was four months into COVID, five months into COVID. We were driving around because we were about to lose our minds because we had been stuck in our house since March. But the picture doesn't show that, right? We don't have masks on. We're outside. Everybody's smiling. But in reality, between That picture, before and after, there's a lot of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth of, we're inside. What can we do? We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. Everything's, you know, if you touch anything, boxes are being delivered and you're afraid to touch them because they may have COVID. You're going to the grocery store and you're afraid to even make eye contact because COVID may be transferred between eyeballs. But in that picture, all you see is a smiling family riding around in the neighborhood like it's the perfect day. To be honest with you, I don't even remember what we did that day. If it wasn't for that picture, probably I wouldn't even remember doing that. That snapshot represents one small fraction of an entirety. And here's why I bring that up this morning is because here's why. When we read the story of the Bible, and there's more examples, and I may not get to all of them today, but when we read these stories in the Bible, we're reading these stories, and yes, they're awesome and they're amazing, but they're looking at just one small sliver of time, one snapshot of a moment. What happened to the rest of his life? Yes, he had a miracle. He was blind. He could see. But let's talk about the other side of that. Here's a 20-something-year-old kid, probably, at least in his... I got him, I'm going to guess because of his response of his parents... Now, he could have been younger because, you know, you became a man at 13. um, And his parents, you know, made the statement uh, that he's of age. And of age could refer to being of 13. He's had his bar mitzvah. He's become of age, the son of commandment. And he could be, have technically been of age then. The problem with that is, is that there's another clue in the story that kind of gives us a different aspect of his age. And that is, he was of age. And then he was a beggar because the scripture says in the beginning of this when they were trying to figure out who he was it says in verse number eight therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said is not this he who sat and begged now it was common for children to have be, become beggars but children who became beggars usually it was because they had been orphaned So, and you put the pieces together, if he was younger or skewed younger, his parents more than likely would have at least been supporting him financially enough for him to survive. The fact that he was begging proved that he had gotten to an age where his parents were sort of saying, look, I know you're blind, 
But you kind of need to start moving forward with your life, son. Well, he can't get a job. He can't. He can't. You know, can't become a a, a tradesman or a fisherman or a carpenter, or whatever else might be available to him, because he was blind. So his only option was to beg. We find this throughout Scripture because we don't find any interaction with Jesus with any beggars who were young. Most of the interaction you find in Scripture and. Even when you go back and you look at the culture, beggars tended to be people that were at least what we would consider adults. Why do I say this? Because let's just play the story out for a moment and try to help you today in your own journey. He wakes up that morning as every other morning. He's blind, right? It's going to be another day, same day. And he has this amazing, absolutely life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. He's suddenly thrust on the stage as a key witness in this ongoing trial of authenticity of who Jesus is with the Pharisees and Jesus sort of on both sides, uh, on each side of the board, and he's kind of another pawn stuck in the middle. And then it ends not only with this being played out. He's kicked out of the synagogue. He's kicked out. So get out. We don't want you here anymore. And it's ended with Jesus having this encounter with him saying, Lord, I believe who you are. But then it's capped with another interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, this is quite a day, right? This is the day of days for this young man. This day was quite interesting. But here's where the story gets interesting. What was the next day like? What is the next day like? Right? Now, I don't say this to get you to look at the Bible skeptically. I get this to look at for you to look at the Bible through the reality of the story itself. Meaning... You can't just look at your life and compare it to the Bible and go, wow, man, my life is stinks and my life is no good because look at the lives here. Because the Bible, because it's limited in its capacity to fill up the entirety of pages with the rest of the story, we only get a fraction of this story. And the reality of it is, what kind of hit me the today when I'm looking through this, my own picture reel yesterday, kind of hit me again and it kind of just put all these pieces together. I'm looking through my life and I'm going, man, if you got a hold of my phone and you started looking through my pictures, you would have a lot of preconceived notions about what my life may or may not be like. If you look through my phone, you'd, you'd get to realize, you know, there's some, there's some things in here that you'd You'd go, well, that he must like that or he enjoys to do that or, you know, he obviously has this going on. You might get a sense of it, but the problem is you're not going to get the true sense of who I am by just looking at my pictures. Because those pictures don't represent a lot of stuff that happened between the snapshots. And if I was just to tell you today and I show you today, let's go, let's just take another picture if I can. Just for, uh, it was a good one. This was my birthday. I turned 40. And this was a picture that was taken of my family. Uh, thank you, Andrew Nielsen. Um, 
Andrew Nielsen took this picture of me on my 40th birthday with my family. Let's take, for example, and I'm almost done. If that's the only thing you ever saw of me, you don't know me, right? You don't know who I am. And I showed you this picture. It's a picture of my family, and I'll do it one more time so you can get a good sense of it. We could play a game today and say, okay, who's Joel? Here's the picture. It's a picture of myself, my, my, my wife, and our two kids, our three kids, two girls and a boy, and, and our dog. He was still a puppy at the time. And I gave you this picture, and I gave you an assignment. Write Joel's life based off this picture. You would probably write a narrative that wouldn't even come close to describing my life. You might get some things right. Well, you know, he, he's, he's got a family. They have a dog. Okay. But what about the fabrics of my life? Are you going to know the, the hurt, the pain, the difficulties, the bad days, the ups and downs by that picture? The reason I say that is because it really hit me the other day. We see this story of this boy and what an amazing day. But what was day? What was the next day like? What was the next day like? What did he feel like the next when he woke up the next day? Because you got to put. Let, let's just play it out here, and I'm I'm almost done. I, I'm as usual. I'm not even getting to half of what I thought I was going to get to today. But let's play it out for a moment. Right? He wakes up the next day. He's no longer blind. Wow. This is amazing. I can see. But he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have income. All he's never all he's ever known was a blind world. And all he's ever known for income is begging. But the problem is he can't go back to begging because his one sympathy uh, sympathy card is now gone. He's no longer blind. So he's got sight. So if he says, sir, please, can you give me something? Why are you sitting there? You, you can, you know, I'm not giving you money. Go get a job. Well, the reality is he has no discernible skills because he's been blind. He can't read. He can't write. He's probably now of age. He's an adult, but he's probably got nothing to show for it. He's got to start at the very bottom of the barrel. You see, these are the untold sides of the stories in the Bible. And I don't mean to say that to diminish the miracle of the blind. I say that because when you... And Jesus are walking together and you start getting frustrated because you're looking for the miracle and then your life feels really just mundane or ordinary. Or you're looking for that great moment of euphoria where you just wake up every day and you're just absolutely crushing it every day and life is just just one series after another of just amazing experiences, encounters, and you go, man, that what that's what walking with Jesus must be like. We got one Moment of time of this young man and nothing else. What if the rest of his life was just absolutely mind-numbingly ordinary? What if he spent the rest of his life just getting up, going to work, coming home? That's it. 
You see, how long into that process does the memory of the miracle start to fade away? And the miracle and the memory to him becomes as significant as the snapshots in my phone. I'm not suggesting that he would have walked away from God. My point I'm making is, is that walking with God is a series of snapshots. It's a series of, of ordinary with splashes of extraordinary. But there's a lot of ordinary baked into this cake. And I say that because I think we put pressure on ourselves, but we also put pressure on God to make every day absolutely just, you know, we want the blind eyes opening every day. How many miracles are recorded in the life of Jesus Christ? I think I found the number here earlier today. Let's just, let me make sure I got this right. Uh, Mimi, this is the beauty of, uh, according to uh, this again, you can go through and look and look, but there are, most agree that there are 37 miracles performed by Jesus recorded in the Bible. Now, again, I know that doesn't mean 37 people because some of those miracles affected thousands. Okay? So, I get it. I understand that that's not true, a true example of that because you got 37 miracles, but, you know, one miracle is 5,000 fed. One member was 4,000 fed. Another miracle says he healed the multitude. How big is the multitude? Could have been hundreds. Could have been thousands. We don't know. But let's just talk about 37 recorded miracles. Now, was that all the miracles Jesus did? More than likely not. But that was the 37 we know of. Did he do more? Probably. But we can't, we can, we can surmise that, but we can't verify that, if I could say it that way. Meaning, he was Jesus, right? Your, your brain says there's no way he could have, he would have done only 37 miracles. But to say he did more than that, is not being true to the text because the text only gives us 37. So we can't speculate on something that's not verified by the word of God. Now you can say, well, he only the word of God only gives us the 37. Maybe, because the Bible does clearly say that if all the things Jesus did and said was written, that the world could not contain the books that need to be written. I get that part, but 37 miracles is all we have of Jesus' life. But in reality, if we do a little math here, his ministry last, lasted about three and a half years. But we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be generous and just call it an even three. So let's just take that three and know that roughly his ministry in a three-year period lasted a roughly about 1,100 days, right? From the moment he was baptized by John to his crucifixion, about 1,100 days, so if we just take 37 and divide it by 1,100, that means 0.03%. There's the math. We can't even round it up. It's 0.03. Only 3% of the time in those 1,100 days do we have miracles happening. 3%. 37 out of 1,100. 3%. Why do I say all this? I say that because some of you are frustrated. Some of you are 
dealing with life and it just feels ordinary or just feels like you're just constantly dealing with problems and difficulties and you read the Bible and you go, well, I don't match up with what's going on in the Bible, but be careful. Be careful. When you look at the Bible, not to just say that's the whole story because that blind man had to get up the next day. He had to face a whole new world that he had never been in. He had to navigate things he had never navigated before. And because we know how life is, it could not have been easy. Another story in the Bible, and I won't get to it today, just kind of give you an example. And maybe we'll get back to it when we come back again in two weeks. We can finish this up because there's more here that's really powerful to unpack. And we can look at the other side of it. But... uh the centurion servant that was healed by Jesus in Matthew 8 and Luke 7 where, you know, the man says, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And the servant was healed. But what's amazing about that story, even though the servant was healed, when he was done, he was still a servant. <laughs> he was healed, but he was left a servant. And we'll just use the term that should be used there. It's servant. He was a slave. He was there not as a job. He was there against his own free will. He was a slave. He was a servant to the Roman centurion. A Roman citizen had a slave, a servant, and he was healed. But Jesus did not set him free from being a slave. So even though he had had an amazing encounter and a snapshot of one moment of a miracle, he had a lot of days where he had to get up and do stuff he didn't want to do. Go places he didn't want to go. Have a master telling him, do this, go here, don't do this, do this, dress like that, don't do dress like that. Talk like this. Stand here. Don't stand here. Go here. Can't You couldn't just get married. You couldn't have kids. You couldn't have a life. You couldn't go to college. You couldn't have dreams. You were a slave. So Jesus healed him, but he was still a slave. What was the rest of his life like? Did he die a slave? Was he ever set free? Did he ever get married? Did he have a life? Or was he always a servant? Don't know. But if we only judge it by that snapshot, we go, wow, I want a life like that. Or wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus spit in my spit on the ground and rubbed dirt in my eyes and made mud and I could see. I want, I want that to happen. Maybe, but that was one one hundredth of a second. How long does it take to put mud on your eyes? A minute? What about the rest of his life? What was that like? Don't judge your life. Because you feel like it's just a lot of ordinary. 37 miracles, 1,100 days, 3% of the time there were miracles. What about the other 1,063 days? Yeah, he was teaching and doing some other stuff, but we, we want the spectacular. But even in Jesus' 1,100 days, the spectacular was condensed to 3%. Snapshots. Your life is snapshots. And maybe we'll come back, we're going to talk about it because the problem with snapshots and looking at life through snapshots is here's how we look at it in scripture, but then we look at our own life in snapshots. Shame, regret, pain is usually built on snapshots, moments, actions, or thoughts. I want to encourage you today. 
Walking with Jesus a lot of days feels real normal. Walking with Jesus a lot of days feels ordinary. It's not angels and demons and prophecies and miracles and water turning into wine. Some days walking with Jesus is just getting up, going to work, walking with him, just knowing he's there, communicating with him, fellowshipping with him, but going to bed and looking back on your day and not being able to point to one tangible thing to go, wow, look at the spectacular moment. Are there moments like that in walking with Jesus? Man, absolutely they are. Amazing. But they're, they're sprinkled in a lot of ordinary. I'm not trying to downplay walking with Jesus. I'm trying to give someone hope because you're frustrated because you're expecting life to just be absolutely an Instagram-worthy post every day. And it's because of that you feel like something's wrong with you or maybe, no, nothing's wrong. But don't judge the story by just a snapshot. Don't judge everything in your life by the ordinary or the snapshot. It's the full picture. The Bible says God sees the end from the beginning. He's not looking at snapshots. He's not looking at the mundane, ordinary days. God sees the entirety of the picture. And when he sees the entirety of the picture, every piece comes together and creates something beautiful. I'm encouraging you today. Somehow, some way. To let God begin to show you the full picture. Because you know what? When you look at my life, my life is not a series of snapshots. 13, my last 12 years can't be summarized in 5,000 pictures. There's a lot of days in the last 10 years, 12 years, I felt I spent bored. There's a lot of days I spent stressed. There's a lot of days I spent with so much stuff going on, I didn't know what to do. But that wasn't the one, that one day didn't define the whole story. But I look at the, the whole woven 12 year period of these pictures. There's a story that begins to unfold, but the story is not told by a single picture or a single day. The story is told by the completeness of all of those days together. Because God is not seeing you for the moment or the brief period of time but God is seeing your life in its wholeness its completeness so just walking with Jesus is about how he sees it not how I see it because he doesn't see the way I see it I don't see the way he sees it but he's not running your life to create a highlight reel he is doing your life to get you to have a complete full the Bible talks about over and over again, a perfect and perfect. That word perfect, and when God, when it's when it's used in the New Testament, perfect doesn't mean perfection. It means complete. God's trying to create a completion of you, the complete picture of who you are, if you'd let Him. Don't judge it by a snapshot, but let God show you the full picture, day by day. Minute by minute, moment by moment, one day. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept. God's adding to your story every day. Your story's not finished because it's still left to be written by the author and the finisher of the faith. 
God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. I pray somehow, some way this has challenged you, but draw and in, in, in the end draws you closer to Jesus Christ in Jesus' name.